0: been a while since I put one of these out but I like to get back putting these things out on the regular initially I was going to do this as one of those night talk episodes with Eugene Robinson as my guest talking about his very interesting ideas about past lives unfortunately due to uh, a poor phone connection and some sound quality issues Uh, We're going to have to rethink doing that episode. But anyway, I salvaged some of the good parts, and that's tagged on to the end of this episode. So I'm just going to talk a bit about some of the stuff that's been going on, some news on tombs, if you're a uh, fan of that band, and just some philosophies and reflections on my observations in this modern society. I like to start off by saying that I'm recording this on my brand-new PC laptop, a Dell XPS 15. Anyone out there who works with audio or does some kind of creative work, by all means, avoid using this computer. It has been nothing but problems for me since the minute I opened it up and installed Pro Tools and all the other miscellaneous stuff that I use. Adobe Audition straight up doesn't work on the PC. And, uh, yeah, I kind of regret not getting a new Mac, but I thought I was going to save a couple hundred bucks, and uh, you know, but that didn't work out too well for me. So I'm stuck with this PC. I got to be honest with you, I haven't used a PC in years um, outside of uh, maybe work situations. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And the new Windows... Even for stuff, just in general, I think the new Windows is bulky, bloated, there's too much shit, and uh, I fucking hate it, you know? I mean, uh, I thought that the PCs were for people who want to get shit done. Anyway, I never thought I'd be saying this because just on a lifestyle level, I've often eschewed the Macintosh, Apple sort of statement, you know, it's... For me, at least, when I think of Macintosh computers, Apple computers, I think about dudes with skinny jeans that don't wear socks and have beards and uh, work at startups, and uh, that's just not me. (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, this past year, I've rejoined the workforce with a regular day job, and uh, I haven't had one of those in like three years i went back to the engineering field ironically i'm working for the same people essentially that i worked for three years ago when i quit i got a phone call one day wanting to know what i was up to said they could use me in the office they needed a guy with my sort of skill set to uh help help with the work so at the time i had no i had more time than money so i took the job and uh it's a You know, been a pretty good experience so far, very busy, Uh, prohibitively so at times. Uh, I've been working a lot of overtime, which has gotten in the way of my, uh, my training and the whole physical side of my life, which is equal to the creative side, for me at least. If I don't work out, if I'm not out on the mats training, I feel disconnected from my body and my mind sort of goes into these dark, depressive places. And um, yeah, it's just not a good place for me. I need, I need to get at least, you know, five to eight hours a week in of uh, doing something physical, be it martial arts or lifting weights or, you know, even skipping rope or something. So it's the holiday weekend right now. I have three days off. It's Sunday. Uh, I watched the uh, contenders, the, the I watched earlier this week on the UFC, uh, they have the Contender series on Tuesday nights, and I usually watch those. So I watched it today, after the fact. Between fights, just to keep the blood going, I do sets of push-ups and bodyweight squats, and I feel fucking great right now. The entire week, I got one day in, training at the, uh, the Raktan Muay Thai gym. I worked three 12-hour days in a row uh one 10-hour day and then a six-hour day so I don't know you add up the hours I know there's guys out there that work a lot harder than that but you know for me to uh to spend that much time sitting down in an office is a lot especially since I'm not really uh, accustomed to that these days so it took a lot out of me it ate up all my time and uh You know, so it was good to have a couple days off, get some sets of push-ups in, some squats. Uh, Hopefully the gym's open tomorrow. I'm planning on heading in there, getting some pad work in, going over to the weightlifting gym, doing some squats and deadlifts, that kind of thing. Get back into the physical world. But anyway, I work for a huge company right now. One of the biggest companies in the world in this field. And their New York office is inhabiting three floors in a WeWorks facility on 7th Avenue in New York City. And uh, at this point, you guys are all probably familiar with the WeWorks phenomenon, which seems to be sweep being the country. You know, it's not their idea. That's not an original idea. I know that uh, in other cities... There have been these sort of mom and pop organizations where they provide a space for people to, you know, show up and do their jobs, and they have, you know, internet access, uh, access to printers, uh, you know, coffee, communal space. You rent a desk there, or you rent a small office, or whatever. And that that's nothing new. I, I'm aware of several places in several different cities that have that kind of situation. And if you're a freelancer you know, or a small startup, um, it makes sense for you to buy into one of these facilities. As a matter of fact, a uh, well-known media company that I've done work for over the past several years, they also inhabit a WeWorks facility uh, in Brooklyn. And maybe it's cost-effective to do that. I don't know. I'm not in on those conversations. That's way above my pay level. So I would just assume that, it's cheaper. I don't know. Anyway, WeWorks. This is my first time that, on a daily basis, I have to report to one of these places for work. It's, um, it's been kind of a trip. What comes to mind is the uh, John Carpenter film, They Live. When you work, when you walk into one of these places, the first thing you notice is there's slogans everywhere. You know, like live your, you know, live, live your, live your dream, for example. That's one of them. On the on the coffee cups, they have a thing that says your your cup is half full, or some bullshit like that. Everyone that works there has to wear this uniform, which I find kind of fucked up too. The, uh, the, the sort of prefab office spaces that you inhabit have these you know pretty pretty cool common areas, like these awesome break rooms, really. Uh, you know they got free coffee, they got water. Uh, the water is like this in, the water is this like fruit infused sort of thing and you know, I, I like that kind of stuff, but I reject it because I go to this fucking place for work. And it feels like I, I just feel manipulated. It's like they're creating a uh, focus group version of what people want, the environment they want to work in. But it's the same shit because the people that work there, the people that you know do security or you know, clean up are all people of color. You know, it, it's, there's still this weird inequality, this weird class inequality. And um, it's like, okay, here's like the rich, white, white ruling class. And then there's the, the you know, the, the lesser, the lower income people that are providing the service. I mean, you could look at it at two different ways. You could be like, well, people are getting jobs. I mean, I don't know if they're exploiting anybody. I don't know if they have good benefits. I don't know if they pay them well, that sort of thing. But it just reinforces that us and them mentality of like, the people who make, you know, a certain type of salary. The people who don't make a certain type of salary. And the uniform just bothers me, man. I don't know. The uniform. Every floor looks exactly the same. These rooms are outfitted with these randomly selected, or, or should I say, carefully curated selection of books. You know, and and I just uh, I find it, like, incredibly manipulative. You know, being... My mind is being controlled by this company and I just don't fucking like it. There's, there's a private entrance that you can get into if you, uh, you know, you just got to scan your card and it's like the WeWorks entrance on, it's on 37th street. The main entrance for everyone else is on seventh Avenue. Yeah. Okay, I would, I would go in through that entrance. It has like an elevator that express elevator it goes right to your floor, like that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I usually get in there really early and no one's there. It's dark. I go in there, scan my card, go into the... I look around, there's like a King Kong poster, which is cool. But there's like this carefully sort of, you know, st- a sort of strategically cluttered area where the sort of administrative people sit. You know, if you need help, you go there and you ask them, hey, my car doesn't work or whatever. You know, behind them, it looks like they, were, they looked like a turntable, like an LP turntable, you know. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess they play records down here. They spin vinyl during the day. One, one morning, I, I came in, and I looked over, and I said, hey, something lo- looks off about that turntable. You know, I've owned several in my life. I love, I love vinyl. Uh, Love Records all that sort of stuff So I looked at the turntable real closely And it was a fucking prop It was it wasn't even real It wasn't even a turntable It was this fucking prop that was put there To create this atmosphere of perception That these are these you know creative people We're all doing creative work together We're all living our dreams But we're really not It's like the fucking Westworld version of an office yeah, I don't know. It just, it bothers me. It bothers me I have to go to this place every day. I like my job. I like the people I work with. I fucking hate this facility. I want to burn it down. I want to go in there a fucking flamethrower incinerate every floor of this fucking place. You know, do it when no one's around because I don't particularly want to hurt anybody. I just want to destroy property. You know, it's like in Fight Club, you know, when they have to destroy a corporate coffee, you know, place. That's what I want to do to WeWorks. I want to destroy a cof, a uh, corporate office, new corporate office environment. I stopped using the mugs. I brought my own coffee cup in because I felt like using their mugs kind of fucked with my sense of uh, personality. My own individuality is sort of at stake. I don't know, man. It's been real weird. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's work. You know? doing my thing, making good money for change, and uh, working with some cool people that I've known for a long time. And I don't know, I just thought it was very meaningful how out of the blue, my past contacted me and offered me a better way to make a living. And, uh, you know, if anyone's been listening to these solo rants, over the last uh, 14 months Uh 20, 2018 was a very tough year for me uh, a lot of a lot of most mostly low points a lot of uh, trials a lot of personal uh, trials I went through and I'll spare you all those details but um, but yeah it's been rough the first part of 2019 started off pretty bad too but uh, at least on the material level 2019 has turned out to be a pretty decent year for me which leads us to tombs uh we have just recorded a new ep a new five song ep i'm excited about it it's uh you know the current lineup of uh you know justin matt and drew this is our first collaboration together our first uh the document of our first entry into the tombs catalog and that makes me real excited because for the first time since I played with Andrew Hernandez I feel like there's some actual collaboration going on with these guys I mean for the first time ever I didn't write all the material there's one song on the record that Matt wrote hundred percent the lyrics riffs everything I just sang on I didn't even play guitar on the recording Matt played all the guitars uh, Justin wrote the first half of uh, one of the songs. And then, you know, I wrote the, the rest of the song and the lyrics for four out of the five songs. We redid Path of Totality. Uh, it's a song that, since we wrote that song, it's been in the set list for, uh, for years at this point. I'm not sure when Path came out. I think it came out maybe 2010, 2011. So for a good eight, nine years, That song has been the last, the closing song of the set. It's gone through a bunch of different nuances. The way that we play it now is a little bit different than the way the song was written. It's a lot faster. There's like some tempo changes that we do. So similar to the way um, Suicidal re-envisioned their first record, their groundbreaking first record we're re-envisioning the song, Path of Totality, and putting it on this record. And originally, I didn't want to do it as a, uh, a proper track. I wanted it to be a, like a bonus track, either on the digital or CD or whatever. But everyone felt so strongly about the song that they wanted to include it as a proper entry into the track listing. And um, So yeah, I don't know, I'm real excited about it. Um, I feel like it's, I mean, everyone says this about their new records, but they, they, I feel like it's our best work to date. I feel it's my personal best work to date. I have to say that The Grand Annihilation uh, did not resonate with me as my best work at the time that record was put together. I, I realized that the chaos and tur- turmoil within the band sort of manifested itself in the, in that record. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of compromises. Uh, there was a lot of behind the scenes trouble that was going on a lot of distractions during the recording session, uh, a lot of, you know, just conflict in the year leading up to the recording of that record. And, um, I think it stands to be our weakest record. And I know some people really like that album, but, it's uh officially been entered into the past now i don't think we're gonna be playing any of those songs anymore you know even november wolves which is like uh, one of my favorite tracks and a lot of people seem to like that one that's going to be retired until further notice so you know c'est la vie that's life we won't be doing any shows for the remainder of 2019 probably going to just Focus on, uh, you know, practicing all these new songs so that when we do play live, we can play the entire EP and, uh, you know, which is, yeah, it's five songs. It's like 35, 36 minutes long. So it's a good portion of our set will be made up of all this material. Like we've been playing two of the songs live already, but, and, uh, so yeah, that's, um, it's, it's a good solid thing. You know, it's a tangible thing right now. It's not just an idea. Oh, yeah. By the way, we got dropped from Metal Blade. We're now on Season of Mist. That has not been announced. But since there's only about five or six of you guys out there listening, I don't feel like I'm breaking any news by talking about it on this podcast. So so the five or six out there who are listening, we are now on Season of Mist. We are no longer on Metal Blade and uh i gotta be honest with everyone deep down i feel like season of mist probably was the better home for the band uh from day one but the offer the the opportunity to work with a label like metal blade was definitely something that uh had to be explored you know on a on a very fundamental level I didn't think that we really fit on the label anyway. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk shit. I mean, hey, it's a business. That record didn't perform as well as, uh, as they expected. And it was a, uh, a, a you know, business-based decision to no longer work with the band. And I understand that, you know. And, you know, experience was, was it, it was okay, you know, I, I, I don't think that I, I belong on a label like that, really. I mean, people ask me, "Is hey, what was Brian Slagle like?" You know, is he cool? I go, I don't know. I never met Brian Slagle, the guy who owns the label. I mean, he's a legend in the extreme metal world, and um, I never met him. You know, we got signed to the label, never even dealt with him. And uh, we played LA a number of times during that cycle, and he never came to any of the shows. Uh, some of the other people at the label did, and um, they were, they seem pretty cool. So that might give you an indication as to where uh, what kind of, what kind of vibe it is over there. You know, it's and I'm not I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm not saying that it's any better or worse. I'm just talking about my preferences. I just know that when working with relapse and now that we're with season of mist for the last few months those people come to the shows they hang out you know you'll get a t-shirt or a record here and there and that's it we were never once invited into the uh, metal blade office <laughs> you know all that we you know been to LA a bunch of times during that period never once was it like hey can you guys stop by we got like some sweatshirts or whatever we want to give you with the band with the label logo or nothing. So whatever. I don't want to get on a negative path. I just think that we're probably better suited on a label like Season of Mist. The roster is outstanding. I mean, look at the bands that are on that label. We got, you know, Mayhem, Hate Eternal, Thirteen Forty Nine. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. Ken Mode, great bands. Um, it's just a, it's a sick label, and once again, I get to work with Gordon Conrad, a guy who is, in my opinion, the best in the business. So, anyway, that's, uh, that's a bit of news. Um, I'm not sure when any any of this stuff's going to be announced. So, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, post it that on your Facebook page or whatever that uh oh yeah tomb signs to whatever uh like i said you know it's uh they sometimes people get touchy about these things so you know in the last like year or so i definitely have come to the realization like the the thought process the question of why the fuck do i bother doing this stuff year in you know and year out that question has crossed my mind and and you know, I I just like playing music. I think about, I mean, most of you know that I'm quite fond of martial arts and I'm a big fan of watching MMA and, you know, there's these guys like Chuck Liddell out there who he's uh, in his 50s. His best years are behind him. He just can't stop being involved in fighting. I mean, last year he came back and he fought tito ortiz who's like his you know his arch nemesis from back in the day and he just um can't stay away from it so in some ways i feel like that's me and music just can't stay away in a lot of ways it defines what i who i am and what i do playing music is literally the only thing that i've consistently done my entire life you know i've relationships have come and gone with women i've lived in many different cities i've had a plethora of different jobs uh, lived in a lot of different places and uh throughout all of this the only thing i've ever really done consistently is play music you know and that's something that i'm probably going to do until the very end of my life you know for better or for worse there might not be anyone out there listening or paying attention, but I'm going to be, like, making music until it's over. And, uh, you know, with that level of dedication, there's a certain freedom. Uh, you know, you think about these. I guess, like, what I'm leading up to is, I, yeah, sure, I have a little bit of a sore ass about being dropped from Metal Blade. You know, it's like a uh, little bit of a blow to your ego. But it doesn't stop me. It didn't stop anything. You know, still out there doing my thing, still out there performing, writing music, and being creative. And even if someday no one wants to release any of my music, you'll still be able to find it somewhere. Even if you got to come to my house or the cardboard box that I'm living in on the street, and I have to hand you a physical copy of something that you can play, I'm still going to be making all this music, still going to be doing this stuff, still be writing and uh and that's pretty much what it's all about for me you know there's such a short time that we have in this planet and you might as well do the things that make you happy and give your life meaning and uh that's what that's what it is for me so so anyway i'm gonna move on we um i got this really cool conversation with eugene Eugene Robinson is one of my favorite people to talk to. Unfortunately, the uh, technical aspects of this conversation recording uh, were a little bit below my technical standards for a release as an actual episode. But uh, we're coming in about halfway into our conversation. Eugene's talking about his role as a quote-unquote watcher, someone who observes and is not affected by the surroundings. So that's where we come into this conversation. Eugene's awesome. If you, well, he talks about his different podcast, uh, you know, endeavors out there. But you know, he's the editor at large at ozzy.com. He has his own show, which comes out every week, called Show Stomper, and it's primarily. Actually, I'm not even going to say primarily, but. The lion's share of what he talks about is MMA-related, yet he goes off on these political tangents, social commentary, and oftentimes delves into the esoteric. And that's what initially attracted me to the idea of having him on to discuss some of his ideas about past lives. And I thought it would have been a great entry into the night talk sort of... uh, Catalog here that I'm trying to put together. But anyway, here we go.
1: And, and you know, I also started having dreams, visitations of, you know, you know, I understood as divine forces, but these were probably like game masters, you know, people who sat outside of any specific religion. I mean, if I run into a store in Poland and start screaming for a chair, they don't know what I'm talking about. We use different words for different things, but we're fundamentally still talking about something with four legs and a seat on it, right? Yeah. So I would, these 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 visitations, they would say to me, you know, okay, outside these games, the game that you're involved in playing of life, you know, you're, right, there's something else going. that You have, that um, you are um, a special breed. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember, this came to me probably when I was 19 or 20. And um, I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And it was it was kind of an incredible this divine force because it, it was like it was like standing next to a, a I don't know if you right, spent much time around an electrical plant, you know, yeah, and they I, have those big yeah. tra- transformers, and they say like, "Don't go near the fucking transformer, right?" Yeah, or you hang out with your friend. Yeah, right. Um, but then you kind of stand; you can just feel this fucking tremendous power. So this being is talking to me, not especially scary or large, but you could just feel this tremendous power, and that's when they told me um, that I was a watcher. Yeah, I'm
0: interested and in I what think, that exactly means, because I've heard you use that expression before.
1: Well, you know, I, I kind of woke up, and I remember telling my girlfriend at the time, like, oh, you know, this about it, a watcher, and I, I, I didn't really get too much thought about it, but then um, but then, you know, I, mean, I, I, I read something, oh, about eunuchs people, right? Like, supposed, you know, the, 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 the apocrypha, the books of the Bible that were not sanctioned. And eunuchs people were supposedly the people who built the pyramids and, you know, the race race of giants who were created by, by angels oh, the with, yeah with, yeah, all that kind of weird arcane or shit. But um, watchers were something that came up again and again and again, right? I mean, essentially, like in a game, not a referee, but a note-taker, you know, in a courtroom scenario, a stenographer. And I know it's kind of interesting that the only job I've ever done that I ever really did well was as a journalist, right? Um, You know, and and I've been in situations, like really weird ones, like in the middle of um, riots, and uh, there was a riot here where the cops were chasing kids and beating kids up, and you know kids were punching cops in the face, and they were running all around me. I felt like, like Virgil and Dante because I, I expected to be hit or somehow touched physically, but nobody touched me. I just walked across this big kind of auditorium where it was a massive fucking melee. Shit was being thrown, and nothing touched me. And it was so weird that by the time I got to the entrance door, I started to doubt the reality of my existence. Like, how is it possible that I could just... And then I figured, well, you know what? I was like a well-dressed black guy. These cops came to a punk rock show. I didn't look like a punk rocker, and I wasn't running. But it happened again and again, you know? Like, I remember being on the Lower East Side in New York hardcore days and surrounded by a bunch of Puerto Ricans with knives. And they, they uh, apparently... When I went to a party uh, and somebody had gone to the roof and they were throwing garbage down on them from the roof. I didn't know this and left the party to go home and these guys surrounded me with knives you now there's social factors. A lot of black people or black Puerto Ricans, you know, if I had been white, I'm sure they would have fucking stabbed me to death on the stairwell, but they spoke an accent of English and said, you know, what, is, what the fuck are you doing? I, I said, I'm, what is, I, I didn't feel guilty. I didn't, I hadn't done anything. I wasn't especially afraid. I did note that they all had six of them had knives. Um, but it was just like this kind of weird, like I'm there to note, but I've never actually drawn any real, um, you know, uh, I, I've never been forced out of that position where, you know, um, where I've gone from being the watcher to being the watched, you know, if if that makes any sense. So I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can't figure out. You know, I mean, again, the religious texts that we have and that we use are essentially guidebooks for the game that we have somehow chosen to play. But outside of that, you know, I, I you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, and I haven't really figured out the ramifications of, of what it is that it needs to be a watcher, except for the fact that I, I'm taking note, and largely I am, right? I mean, I'm paying attention to this stuff now, been thinking about it since I was five. So that, you know, I know people who, I, I met one guy through the show, the Showstopper, and he was like, I used to have these thoughts all the time, and then I stopped. And I remember somebody saying that they thought that we're born with psychic abilities, but then most people realize that they're not going to get any... It's unusual, and you should stop having them. So most kids have it, but then most kids like just stop having it, right? Because they, it's socialized out of them. So maybe it's just one of those things where I'm thinking about it still, but maybe people start thinking about it, and maybe they got to think about other things. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a lot of normal people. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's, a, um, yeah. that's an interesting idea just because I think... You know even personally for myself like when I, you know I'm a fairly creative person but I was more creative as a, as a child I think you know I mean I think most kids are expressing themselves freely for the most part until sort of the the grind of society and you know you have to go out and get a job you got to go to school and all this like consciousness of societal duties sort of weeds all that stuff out of them you know what I mean and then you become preoccupied with survival and like
1: in cars and... well that uh, yeah but I, I, I think a part of a part of that is okay I mean simply because I can't convert I can't convert that stuff into real actionable items right yeah. I mean except it, it, it yeah. enriches my life and you know what is that thing about the unexamined life is not worth living well the examined life conversely probably should be really worth living so in general I feel you know if you see me just sitting around staring off in the space you know, it might be markedly different than what, you know, that other guy next to you at the bus stop is doing. But I don't know, maybe he's thinking thoughts, too, that are somehow significant. Um, I mean, society largely is, is about means and averages, right? Yeah. And and the fact that you and I are having this conversation means that means and averages is something that we're probably you <laughs> know that we, 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 understand, but don't feel a great affinity for necessarily. You know, I mean, I really, you know, one of the hardest, At I least mean, this is why, like, you know, we all know those guys who were hit when they were 19 or 20. Uh, yeah, I've had some friends who were like childhood actors and became sort of famous when they were young. Uh, and I talking to them now is always weird because I feel like I'm talking to children, you know, um, there's something really significant about having to be an adult. I remember uh, we went into the offer at one point and uh, he was like, well, he was asking what I was doing. I was like, well, you know, I, I got my kids. He was like, ah, you become a breeder <laughs> Like all of a sudden, I was like talking to a child. He was like, <laughs> he, he's using a kind, of, kind of punk rock coded language to describe, you know, to describe a real significant embrace of, 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 of this game that we are, have chosen to play, this they called life, right? So I just kind of smiled at him and goes, yes, a breeder, like the band. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, the joke the joke, thing, which I'm not sure he got at all, which was like, I'm going to try to speak to you in a language that you can understand, because clearly, you know, the whole life thing you, you failed miserably at. <laughs> yeah, talk I mean, about
0: music it's, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's... It's 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 kind of invalid for like these guys who become that guy like Jello is Jello right. Biafra from the Dead Kennedys you know there's these certain right. icons that they they were you know lucky enough or fortunate enough or in the right place or talented enough or whatever to have had that golden touch where they don't have to be part of society in the way that most of us have to be in part of society you know. And it's like Yeah, but
1: I don't I don't I don't I don't really have any envy for those cats. No, I I'm I don't, not, i do not have any envy at all I, for it. I don't no, but i but I don't see if they've evolved, right? I don't yeah. see if they have I mean you know what actually I'll tell you something actually that blew me away. I put up I posted recently a photo that Phil and Flash took. Okay, they did the the Hartford Chronicles thing and Drew Stone said, I'm gonna send you some photos I have. So they sent me some photos uh, from CBs that had me, like, on the dance floor, right? Yeah. And somebody, some fucking evil-eyed person said, did you see who was behind you? And I was like, oh, yeah, Jimmy Gestapo. And they are like, no, no, no. And they circled it, and they go, that's fucking Michael Giro. Wow. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I remember him. I mean, this was way before the swamp. I remember, he didn't have any friends. He was like one of the, I just remember him as this guy, like kind of he didn't seem especially older, but just like a punk rock guy, kind of pale faced punk rock guy who like you know, he wasn't hanging out with us, but he was at the shows, but he was there. So that's a guy who was like there and evolved in a really interesting way. Now, I d I don't know anything about this whole, you know, supposed rape thing. I don't know, I don't I don't know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm just talking about being artistically engaged and in evolving. Despite the fact that maybe the swans hit big time when uh, swans hit big time when he was, you know, what twenty four. Uh, so, I, I, in other words, you know, outside of the big thing, I think he's had a really interesting career as an artist, um, which is very different from having an interesting career as a musician or interesting career as Joe Biafra. <laughs> you know. Or uh, you know, I think Rollins, to a certain degree, has has evolved in, in an interesting way. Um, though it, it's always sad for me that no matter who's talking to him, they always drag him back to black Flag. If I were him, I would just say, yeah, but, you know, or try to somehow evolve the conversation beyond, beyond being that guy. Cause fucking nostalgia is kind of, um, it's like an ill fitting suit, you know? Um, especially if you've got different things going on in your head, but. Yeah, you and know, also you know. the,
0: the, the subjectivity as every year goes by, you know, when, you, when you're when you looking back on things, things change just a little right. bit, and then next thing you know, you're telling a tall tale. You know, you have, like, a complete fictional account of what actually happened, like, 20 years ago,
1: 30 years ago. <laughs> right, right, You know, right. It's, it's like it Chinaski it
0: versus Bukowski, you know. I'm sure, like, right. all those uh, stories have a, a very strong kernel of truth in them, but, you know, they've been filtered through years and years of, you know, revisions and false right, memories right. and that kind of thing
1: you know right well you know what happens to me more often than not is people will say that i did something and then i will like that never fucking happened man and then they'll repeat what i said and i got an ear for language and i go okay that i did say, that's my i can tell the, syntactically i did say something that's that's me nobody else would have said that that's me So I'm forgetting a lot of stuff. I'm glad people around me are remembering, you know.
0: Uh, Well, just the fact that we can recall the past at all, I think, is pretty amazing. Um, Because that isn't, like, you know, once again, you think about that, like kind of tying it back to what we were talking about past lives, where you can remember something, okay, and it's definitely, it's questionable whether or not it actually happened that way, especially because it's your sole perspective on that event. Like, you know, we, we, to, yeah. s- the same event can happen to me and you. I might have a completely yeah. different point of view than you do. Yet that, to me, is reality, you know?
1: so Yeah, it, that's, that shit's eerie. It's really
0: eerie. Yeah, so, I mean, I when, mean, you, I, when I, you... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I... I your thought, because I, I... Yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was trying to tie that into is was the fact of reflections of this <laughs> kind of like, you know, echoes... Of the past and like yeah yeah when because i've I've had some experiences you know that had to do with psychedelics where i would have sworn that i recalled something that was like locked like deep in like my explanation for it like deep in my dna like almost like pre-human remembrances you know
1: what i mean of different and and and, uh, you know i mean in in theories of knowledge they say that everything that you that anything that you uncover is not nothing that you've actually discovered, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, if if, if if I were to take something outside of the shoebox of your understanding, right, this is why aliens and Martians in our movies are humanoid, because we can't imagine the unimaginable. Right. right? So... um I mean these are all like like uh you know ghost images on a videotape that that you kind of record over that somehow like, stand up and make themselves known and on points for but, but yeah I I you know I, it's like there's a woman and Facebook in an interesting way has helped helped this a lot and there's a woman who has sends me a friend request and I okay it and she says Oh, how are you you doing And I look at the picture and I go, oh, oh yeah, I remember from the days. And I go, hey, I'm glad you see the And uh, my history of her was, I remember somebody saying, she likes you. And I remember thinking, oh, that's cool that she likes me. I kind of like her too. And then I remember she was like unpleasant with me. And she had gone out with a friend of mine, this guy who played bass in that band Juvenile Justice he was the first guy to turn me on to that band Accept oh wow um, and yeah. <laughs> it, it was right at the time where hardcore like guys were like starting to get heavy heavy metal I was like, I have to listen to it, Accept anyway she ended up going out with him so now she's in Hong Kong he's doing some you know actually really high finance something or other and then she says do you remember the last time you saw it for you? I said well you know I remember when you were going out with Ron she goes no before that and I didn't remember and she said what happened is I physically picked her up, like outside in public. Physically picked her up, carried her, I lived in the trailer at the time, into my trailer, into my room, threw her on my bed, and said, I'll be back and I never came back <laughs> <laughs> And that's why she was angry with me. And I have no memory of that at all. Like zero, zero, zero. zero. And I've got a good memory. And so I'm saying, are you sure it was me? You're not confused? Because Ron from Juvenile Justice was black, too. It could have been. I'm the straight edge. I remembered everything. It was you. And I was like, well, I guess I should apologize. But I don't remember. And I still, I'm puzzling. I just don't remember that. I just don't. I got no memory of that at all, at all. And the other day I was in the gym and I almost got into a fistfight with some guy. I, my first words to him from my mouth were, are you finished with this rack? <laughs> yeah. This squat rack. And the guy was like, I will slap the fuck out of you. <laughs> That's, that seems like an odd, odd response to that question. exactly and he was like you're always fucking with me you're always and he throws a rope at me and the rope hits my arm and I and I realized I'm laughing at him I realized like I said you need to relax first of all and who is it you think I am and he was like you're always fucking with me I go always I was in Poland man I just got back from Poland I was there I've been traveling Poland and New York I've been on the road for a month when do you think but I did this. And the guy kind of pauses and he looks at me and goes, oh, shit. I'm I'm sorry, man. And I told other people a story. I told my kids a story. My kids go, oh, was he white? Because they go, okay, you know, white people. And <laughs> I go, all oh, black people. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, he was black. Huh, okay. And and so I go and tell my coach because he goes to the same gym, you know, weightless gym at, uh, my jiu-jitsu coach, and he was like, I fucking saw that guy that he mistook you for. And I go, well, how old was that guy? I go, that guy's 25. And I was like, ah, fuck you, coach. I could pass 25. But, I mean, weird shit happens, man. I, you know, um, I mean, I'm in New York right after the Poland trip. I stand there on the sidewalk. Some guy in the SUV, he's got his whole family. He's like shaking his whole family, pointing at me. You know, and they rolled the window down. They said, Hi.
0: Oxbow <laughs> fan, <I'm> maybe?
1: <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know who, at odd times, people in Luxembourg, they thought I was Eddie Murphy, you know. In Milan, I got mistaken for Lenny Kravitz. You know, I think what people are really responding to is a feeling of otherness, and then they try to slot it in something that's familiar to them. And, you know, pop culture determines it, but this is where the whole Watcher thing comes in, you know. Uh, why was I not stabbed on the staircase that time? You know, why the cops not beat beat to death? I mean, who who, who knows? You know, um, I, I'll give you another This guy Adam Smire, who's a, a writer who I like. I told you about his book Knucklehead. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I'm um, about halfway through it right now. Yeah, yeah. So he he actually played the thin black Duke in the in the Cold and Well Place the Oxbow video, but the first as. as It turns out we went to the same high school together. I'm about two years older than he was. But again, because of Facebook, I'm in a bathroom uh, at some weird art gallery thing. And he sees me in the bathroom. I'm at the urinal taking a piss. And he says, Eugene. And we become friends from that moment. But then he wrote about that moment. And he goes, it was a unique moment to my entire existence because when I called Eugene's name, he turned around and looked at me and he was perfectly friendly. But I could also see in his eyes that he, like like Alan Ginsberg once said, "Dharma gates are endless." That he was he was open and ready and willing to receive anything that I was gonna bring. Like if I wanted to fight to the death, he was already there. You know, if I wanted to be friends, he was already there. So, and you know, this is a characterization of me from outside of me. You know so it's always strange and foreign it's like somebody translating a story back to me in, in a language that I should understand um but don't but yeah these these images and these visions of something other than just this material plane well, and I'm talking about yeah exactly. internal essence as well you know it, it's it's it's, it's it can be wild and you know they made fun of Shirley MacLaine for the stuff because because she was willing to laugh about it. And there's a lot of stuff I'm going to laugh about, but this is not particularly funny. It's just strange. And, you know, there's lots of strange shit that happens. It's not really, it's not risable. It's just strange. And uh, if you're thinking about it long enough, you might somehow get to a conclusion that these are messages about things beyond the things that we know, you know, or like Hitler said. <laughs> <laughs> it's always back to Hitler, man. <laughs> future events as yet unknown, you know. Well, actually,
0: at this point, oh, yeah. I just want to interject this other concept, too, which is, I mean, this is not obviously not an original idea, but the idea of infinity and the fact that, you know, we can't really fathom infinity. But there is the idea that everything, poss- every possibility has played itself out for infinity and that right. time, you know, time, the way we think of time in the sort of Euclidean, you know, geometry world only exists like in this one plane but actually time is like this sort of three-dimensional or infinitely dimensional quantity and that we just keep reliving the same thing eventually over and over again and every other iteration right. of that moment for it's like you talked about the example in the men's room where he was ready yeah. to, to receive anything because in, in yep. an infinite sequence of events have happened and they all have happened and maybe that one point was that echo of all those things that happened or you know or yet to happen at some point or they... well, but, you, but you know
1: i mean the, the whole infinity thing is, is really interesting there's a guy i know who is now a politician he's a uh, serving uh, i think i can't mp mp in uh, in england and he had been involved in trying to get set me up with this this uh, police chief who was on the child sex abuse division but then who was so traumatized by it that he had to go on disability. Wow. That's heavy. It's, ho- it's horrible, horrible fucking work. Yeah. And, uh, so he's going to set me up with this guy, but he, what they told me is that, um, that there's, they have technology that they use that it's, I mean, it's like minority report shit. It already exists. Like where you can, I mean, we talk about infinity as a concept, but <laughs> This is something that's, you know, we're on the ground floor and Cindy's up on the top floor, man. He's like, the technology that we have is fucking predictive. You know, the average person, I can tell you what you're going to do for the next two weeks based on, you know, using this technology that they have, you know, it's a kind of, well, I don't, he just they use it for co- cops are using it in, in England at the very least. Um, and uh, you know, you start to think, Oh, well, it's heavy. Not really. Not an astute observer could chart out where Eugene is going to be any time at all during the next fucking week. It's not that fucking hard, right? That's why people who get put in witness protection programs, they all miserably because one, we're creatures of habit and two, we're not nearly as fucking mysterious. If you want to find me, if you want to find, if I don't, if I don't see anymore, I just, fuck, Eugene's missing. Well, you know, where would you, where would you, well, wherever he is he's probably at one point going to wander into a gym or a art gallery or a jujitsu fucking studio right i mean i know a guy who you know he's in jail now for horrible crime but he was on the on the lam for a period of time couldn't and he's a jujitsu player couldn't keep himself away from and went into some school back east trying to pass himself off as a fucking blue belt capping <laughs> <laughs> people like crazy as a blue belt, man. You gotta do better at this guy. He just couldn't. His product couldn't, couldn't stop himself, you know? And that's how they caught him, and now he's out here in jail for 25 years. Huh. This is a guy who used to be on on how crazy fight team. But, um, I mean, the reality of it is, we're not that fucking mysterious. These computers, these programs these cops are using, can predict the shit that I'm gonna do. we you gonna know, uh, really. I mean, it's not that hard. I got a credit card. I took that credit card, and what do I do? Well, I got to buy some groceries. Well, what kind of groceries did he buy? You know, you punch in your, your phone number. It's, connected to, it's triangulated to your phone number. Oh, well, he also bought some whiskey. But how often does he buy whiskey? You know, says, well, seems like he's buying whiskey three times a month. Well, how much whiskey is he buying three times a month? And who does he live with? So those two people think of how much whiskey three times a I month. Mean, not that hard to figure out people at all, you know? I mean, given the number of options that we have, you know, it's pretty, like, I got dinner plans for later on. Anybody who looked at my credit card or, you know, or any, in the last month would be able to figure out that that's probably what it's going to do on Friday night. Easy, easy. So when you start to think about infinity, we're, we're, I mean... I think we have to think about it in, in in chunks, you know. And of course, you know, time only exists in the material plane, right? When you die, say, you don't exist in a, in the realm of consciousness. There's no time, right? Yeah. Well, that that's I mean, that's that's
0: what I meant by the sort of Euclidean solid world of solids, you know, like where right, right, right,
1: right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. And I, and the interesting thing is, I've been getting into people who have died. Right, so these are people who have suddenly found themselves on the sidelines of this game that we're playing, and then somehow get called back. And one of the, one of the things that caught my eye was like, one guy had said, "I was anywhere." Right? Hmm. Yeah. Which which I thought meant that, you know, if I I have a sense of okay, well, Mike is not here. If I was talking to my kids, who are you talking to? I'm talking to Mike. Well, where's Mike? Well, Mike's not here. Well, where's? He? Well, he's over there. Okay, i a little far away, distance it. But, you know, we're sharing the same mind space now. So that's what it was like when this guy died. You know, there was no, he was anywhere. He was there, he was here, like I'm sitting in this chair here, but we're in a mind space that's somewhere in the air, even though this is thousand months, what, whatever, you know. So it's, uh, I mean, this is interesting shit. Again, you know, a lot of people are not thinking about it, but it has got nothing to do with me. I like thinking about it. And clearly, you do, too. That's why we're talking about
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I'm trying to launch this whole other sub, sub-series in this thing about uh, just these types of topics, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in a certain point, I mean, the, the, the inability to reach a conclusion might cause people just to shrug and, you know, take another hit off the bong and go back to playing video games. But, I mean, I'd like to keep pushing it, pushing it, and these are in states that are extremely sober, so... um because, you know, why not? <laughs> yeah.
0: Why not? Well, thanks for indulging me on this. Is there anything you want to, um, you know, promote or mention, such as your uh, your excellent uh, podcasts that you have going on?
1: Well, yeah, cool. There's the the s and Show Stomper YouTube channel, which you should, should subscribe to. Because even if you think, ah, I'm not interested in MMA, well, you know, I'm only talking about MMA, about... 25% of the time, you know, 75% of the time, stuff kind of like this, like at the last show was about uh, male-dominated hi- hierarchical societies versus non-male-dominated di- hierarchical societies. And one guy unkindly said, well, women control things, you know, we'd be living in grass huts. And I was like, yeah, well, you're kind of missing the point. And that's a lot of fucking Trump-era talk that I'm not really feeling that comfortable with. But the, the reality of it is, you know, in the Southeast Asian societies, that are essentially, uh, or, you know, uh, non-male-dominated and not super hierarchical. And the guy goes, yeah, life sucks there. And he, uh, I don't know, man. you well,
0: got to check out Denmark. I think Denmark is, uh, well, like a pretty, yep. you know, matriarchal yep. society. Yep. And it doesn't yep. suck there yeah, at exactly all, right.
1: actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, we've done a bunch of articles at Aussie for it, too, so, uh, about Denmark. So it's just, and the only reason I say, I'm not, you know, like Joe... Joe Logan is always talking about this kind of war on men. I'm not really talking about that. I'm just, I'm getting, I'm finding the, the, the hostile paranoia wearisome. It's just making me tired, you know? Um, like, there's something that went into me being able to laugh about that guy who threw the rope at me. It was just such a strange, there's a guy, Robbie Nielsen, who directed a movie called Heat and Sunlight. And at one point, a guy shows up and he suspects his girlfriend is cheating on him with this other guy. And he tells the guy he wants him to leave. And the guy's on the couch. He goes, I'm not going anywhere. You leave. And he reaches in his pocket, right? <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're getting, you know, because we're all bred on Hollywood and this paranoid hostility. So he reaches his pocket. Everybody thinks it's a gun. And he pulls it out, what he's got in his pocket, and it's a banana, right? <laughs> But the great thing about it was it wasn't being played as com as comedy at all so even though it was a fucking banana it was still a super heavy moment because he was like you're gonna fucking leave now you can't really hurt somebody with a banana as easily as you can hurt with a gun but it was pretty clear that he was going to try to fuck this guy up at the guy and leave and the fact he had a banana in his hand was immaterial it was a really great moment the movie itself wasn't that great but that moment was really pretty fucking cool. So I'm just, with that kind of male paranoia, hostility thing, I'm just fucking tired of it, man. I got three daughters, you know, and I've spent a lot of my time around women, and I'm not saying that they're any less paranoid and less hostile, but they just, they evince it in a different way, you know. I mean, they're not throwing ropes at me at the gym, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think that, yeah, it's a different sort of environment, you know what I mean, like a different reaction to, to different, Sort of impulses and different, you know, uh, influences. You know, like men, men have that yeah. that hierarchical thing going on. You know what I mean? Like the, the yeah. alpha and all this other, you know, stuff that is hardwired right. I mean, into our DNA because we have to get our genetics like into the future. You know what I mean? So that's like yeah. a be a huge part yep. of all this male stuff. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. And I still, uh, you know, I say that, but I still, you know. <laughs> If a guy comes at me the wrong way, I'm still willing to do that, too. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, but, exactly. But, but, you know, I mean, this guy in the gym with the rope, it was like, man, you're going to put me in a situation where i got to put you in the hospital. And I know that now. <laughs> 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 you know, this, you're not going to... You know, it's impossible that you can't... I mean, he looked like a boxer, but even that, I, I, the fact that I already knew he looked like a boxer... And he had it figured out that I was a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, put him at a fucking disadvantage, you know. So, yeah. um It just it just gets tiresome. But anyway, that's where I was going with that. But so yeah, the Eugene S. Robinson uh, Show Stomper, You can go to YouTube, and you can subscribe. So you know whether it's the JJB, which is kind of a you know instructional series that that we do, or uh, whether it's the film review, the "You Kill Me" thing, or the Showstopper. That's yeah, just stuff that's going on in our heads, and it's kind of fun. So that's an easy way. And then, of course, you're talking about Ozzy Confidential, which is part of Ozzy Ozy. dot com, and you know I got articles up there all the time too. So,
0: and then there's the first season of the podcast too. And then is is there plans for a second season?
1: Yeah, there's a there are plans for a second season. I got I got like eight eight seven or eight of the shows recorded, but the marching order I've been given is that they want a couple of them, well one of the sponsors. We want a couple of the pieces to be uh, with celebrities. And I was like, okay, cool. Like who? And they said, well, like Cardi B. Hmm. I said, Jesus Christ, you know how hard you to get all of the Cardi B? I mean, I'd be glad to talk to her because I like that she was drugging people and robbing them. I thought that was pretty funny, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, so I've actually been writing Cardi B's people and trying to get Cardi B on the show. <laughs> that would be cool, though. Um, I mean, yeah,
0: that would be an interesting yeah, it, uh, interview, I think.
1: Yeah, but asking me to get it and helping me to get it to turn <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are you know? two different things, definitely. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, I mean, plus I got to do my normal job. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just noting. But, yeah, if anybody out there listening has an inline to Cardi <laughs> B, it's holding up my second season, so... Please have her get older me so I can get the second season in the in the
0: can. So Well, thanks again, man. And uh as usual it was a pleasure talking to you and I'll hope to see you soon.
1: All right, Mike, send me a link,
0: Wednesday. Take care.